0: And on the day of his funeral, I remember dropping pills. It's kind of a blur but I remember like hitting people running on the floor and they're like look Gareth we have to arrest you for attempted murder. You know there's probably two words you never one year. There's only one way out of this for I me. Mean, I, I can't go to prison. From that moment I'm gonna sort myself out. So I'd gone from running like nothing to 50 miles and then five months later I run 200 miles. My purpose to myself is just to live life to the best of my ability and to show others that they can too.
1: Welcome to the Rockman Podcast, the podcast that shares lessons in resilience from those who have defied the odds to inspire you to overcome whatever challenge you may be facing in fitness, adventure, and life. I'm Terry Rosamond, Rockman founder, and today we're exploring the topics of breaking the cycle of addiction and destructive behaviors, the importance of finding purpose in life, overcoming challenges in ultra-endurance, and self-care and mental health maintenance. If you want to stay updated on new podcast releases and help us grow, be sure to hit that subscribe button below. And if you take any value from this podcast whatsoever, please give us the thumbs up, leave us a comment or review below. And remember, this podcast is brought to you by Rockman, the ultimate online challenge platform. At Rockman, we offer monthly online running and fitness challenges inspired by the world's toughest fitness tests. Test your limits without restriction from any place, anytime, all year round. So if you need a motivation boost and don't have the time or interest in the same old race day events, you can sign up and get started immediately at rockman.co.uk. Today we have the honour of speaking with an exceptional individual who has transformed adversity into triumph. From battling addiction and brushes with the law to becoming a beacon of hope for mental health advocacy, our guest's journey is a testament to the power of resilience and redemption. Please welcome Gareth Jones, the Mental Health Wanderer. Jones, welcome. Uh, thanks for having me. No worries. How are you doing today? How's training going? Uh, I'm actually on a rest week,
0: so it's going absolutely terrible. <laughs> so it's, it, I mean, it's sitting still, but um, yes, it's going really well. It's going, it couldn't go any better, to be
1: honest. What does a rest week look like for you? Is it, is it like uh, low intensity stuff? Are you still knocking out 30 mile runs or is it, or is it proper rest? Uh, So, on the
0: weekend, now I have got a marathon planned in, but whereas my rest weeks are normally around about 40, 50, 60 kilometers, um, I don't tend to do that many long runs during my training. So, like, a rest week for me is I lift the gym, uh, I do a lot of yoga, I do anything, really, to keep myself active um, and to substitute the running. Um, Yeah, so I guess... It's not so much a rest week as some people would class it as, but I do I tend to it's more self care for my body than stopping completely, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean you are a uh an experienced ultra endurance challenge athlete, I would say. Like you've you've uh you've you've done some epic uh challenges over the la- recent years. And, and 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 you only started running in uh COVID, right? Yeah,
0: so I've been—I've probably been
1: running now about two and a half years, um,
0: maybe slightly just over. So I probably, I probably disagree with you where I say I'm an experienced ultra runner. I know you have I, no right
1: doing these runs, like 300 miles, 200 miles. You have no right doing it. And I, I
0: haven't, and I'll always hold my hands up. And I still, to this day, I'll—I'll—I'll I'll, I'll admit I'm like I, I i don't like to class myself as a runner, and people are saying you're stupid, you've done this, you've done that. But to be honest, I still feel so inexperienced compared to the likes of like 60-year-old marathon runners and people who have been around the bush, you know? Yeah, yeah. I got so, so much respect for them.
1: Well, can, can you give us a quick breakdown then of um, like your your challenge CV? So in the last two and a half years, what have you managed to achieve?
0: The, so the first the first thing I'd say I achieved was, which started it all off, was a charity event for Maggie's. It's like a cancer organisation and I got signed up for it and it was run 50 miles throughout January. Well, when I signed up for the Facebook page, I seen that people were slightly apprehensive about doing the challenge. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to run 50 miles in one day. I'm going to do it January the 1st. Um, Where that come from? I have no idea. But I went out and done it. Um, albeit very very poorly and very hard <laughs> um but i definitely, and i and before this, I hadn't done very little running. you're talking like five k ten k a week, if that um, and I had a bug, I got up then then a couple of months after that, probably about five months after that, I started the mental health wanderer page um and I could see that people were really struggling, struggling through lockdown, including myself. So I decided I was going to get on a train one day um, up to North Wales and run down the office Dyke and and run home as well, making it two hundred miles. So I'd gone from running like um, nothing to fifty miles, and then five months later, I ran two hundred miles. And uh,
1: <laughs> it's incredible.
0: Yeah. and ever since then really i guess I, uh about four months after that i done a under 100, 130 miler just just off my own back um it's like a fastest known time thing then the august after that so exactly to the day a year after the 200 miler i done 300 miles down the cambrian way which is one of the toughest trails in wales or so, so i found out <laughs> Um, and then I went to I, – I wanted to I wanted to broaden my horizons a bit and just show people as well that, like, we don't have to be secluded to, like, our little tiny island, you know. So I, I traveled to Italy to do an ultra over there, really to put myself out of the comfort zone and the confidence zone. And as I was flying over there, it was a 50-odd-mile 50, 50 ultra – um anyway as i was flying over the the race got cancelled and when when we arrived over there um <laughs> i was like i'm still doing this run okay the weather was great Um, uh, well you know it was Welsh weather so it was great um linked up with this french dude and we we run we run the route the race directors rolled for it and i mean you know, it wasn't the longest of distances, or did it take the? You know, it, it's not as long as some of my other runs, but it was probably more nerve-wracking because we were in a different country. We were running up Mount Etna, and I was with a guy that could hardly speak English. You know, for me and him, we connected in ways that, I like, we didn't need to speak, we didn't need language and everything, and it was probably one of the best ones I've done. Um,
1: It's like a shared suffering, isn't it? That's what you're connecting it in. It was, yeah, just two random people from across the
0: world connecting on the hills in Italy and pouring down rain um, because we were too stubborn or too tight to lose the money on the race. So we decided to do
1: Why was it cancelled out of of interest? Why was it cancelled? Because part of the Sicilian island got flooded
0: Terrible, like bad storms. So they took the precaution, and because it was a really treacherous route anyway, um you're talking like landslides and stuff. if They took the precaution to cancel the race in advance. But then when we woke up the next day, it wasn't it wasn't the best weather, but it wasn't you know I've seen like ten year olds running worse weather in in Aberdeen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they, they have to take the precaution unfortunately um and then prob i'd probably say seven months on from this so or i'd done a few races in between a couple a couple of marathons managed to get a sub three hour marathon into an athlete off at athlete full marathon which was fantastic a massive achievement for myself
1: yeah that's huge
0: uh, yeah yeah and after that, it really like that speed and that you know, training for that just just that fast-paced stuff. It really broke my body, and I was like, you know, I'm I'm not really cut out for this. I'm, I'm I'm built too big for this and everything. So I changed it up, and I had to sit down, I had to think, and I was like, what can I do next? Uh, and and I knew, I I knew I probably wouldn't complete this challenge but I knew it was gonna be the one that would, and I knew I was nowhere near ready for it. You know, you're talking inexperienced. I didn't have a team. Um, It was loads of factors against me, right? The pros and cons were like tenfold cons, right? It it was insane, but anyway, I I decided I was gonna run the joggle um, three years, exactly to the day, is it three years or two years? i don't forget, two years to the day, I ran my first 200-miler. I started in John O'Groats, and I didn't know how it was going to go. I probably knew how the first 300-miles was going to go, but after that, it was all, like, new to me. I thought I trained well for it. Now I think back, there's a a lot of other things I could have done and put in place, but it served its purpose, you know, every footstep. And every footstep at the beginning um was like a nightmare. From from the from the moment we started, it just started pulling down. Uh my shoes didn't fit. Everything was going against me. Um but you know, it was it it was fun. That that's that's exactly why I done it. Um, and I was slightly disappointed on day six, where I had to admit to everyone, I was like, I'm not going to reach Land's End. I'm not going to reach in 12, because I only had 12 days due to work. Um, I was like, I'm not going to reach it. And I think it was the bravest decision I've ever made in my life was that moment. I had just come over the mountains in Scotland, over the Cagones, and I sat on the chair, and everyone knew it, they, they, it was two, It was four people with me at the time. The video was there who drove up to see me. They all knew it was coming, and I sat in the chair, and I was like, all right, get the video camera ready for me. And it was like this wave had just come over me. It was like, it's okay, admit defeat, you know? And I admitted it to everyone. I was like, I'm not making land's end, blah, 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 blah. And, and instantly... It was like this wave of relief had just come over me.
1: I bet. You
0: know, Uh, I think it was because when you're racing against the clock, you're racing for people, you're racing for the charity, you're racing for money and all this, all this good stuff. And you're racing just for the people that's watching you, want to watch you fail, because unfortunately there is people out there that do that. But when I took that off my shoulders, and now I was in a position where I could just run for myself. The next six days, I could either give up and go home after the sixth day, or I could carry on and just bloody enjoy it. Um, and that's what I'd done. I free railed the last six days, the last what, you know, 300 and odd miles. I just made my own path, made my own way. I just really had a good time. Um,
1: that's great. Yeah. yeah, it's it's weird. I just a slight uh, reframing in the mind sort of opened up this uh this enjoyment and uh possibilities that you're able to put down on the road. It's uh it's a funny one but you you've never you weren't you weren't always this stoic resilient uh athletic man. It, you you come from quite difficult uh beginnings, right? And you were uh, an addict at one point. Uh, yeah. 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 Can you can you give me an idea of sort of what let you led you down this path of addiction and sort of how bad did it actually get for you?
0: Um, I, I guess what led me down the addiction was, um, and I have to say I had a really, you know, I had a really supportive family. Um, they were always there with we a close knit family. Um, but growing up, I, you know, I. I guess I witnessed my mother going through some things, um, and and the reason she went through them things it was it was just not enough help for for my step my stepfather. You know he had his own addictions his own demons, and there wasn't enough help out there for him at that time. And unfortunately, you know, it, unfortunately, got the better of him. But me being a young child, I, I witnessed some things, um, and. And I'd just like to say before I go on, if if we could go back then, and I am the person I am now, you know, I'd help him. I just want to say that. Um, but, anyway, I, I witnessed some things to do with that. So that was always on the back of my mind. I was always kind of chunky in school, so I was overweight, so I had that to contend with as well. I wasn't as fast as the other people. Uh, I wasn't as good looking as the other people and everything. And then... Uh, so I guess I prop with a little bit of bullying. Um, then my father, my grandfather, he was like, he was like my shining light. You know, um, I, I, I loved him to no end. Um, he passed away and um, before he passed away, he was very ill, you know, with emphysema about chest and, and as a kid, I always tried to do my best for him. And, and I guess when he passed away, I took it very hard. And on the day of his funeral, I remember dropping pills. And I think from that moment on I didn't come down again for another at least ten years. Really? Yeah, yeah. So Yeah, I took pills that day and then like things just started to spiral out of control. Um, We were just doing recreational drugs with my friends at the time on weekends, you know, and then weekends for me turned into Friday, Saturday, Sunday, then rolled into Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and so on. You know, you know, the score and we're just still doing it on weekends. I started doing amphetamine during the week just just because I didn't really like sleeping. So I used to take a lot of speed just to keep me awake. And then I'd smoke a lot of weed when I needed to sleep,
1: yeah. you know.
0: And I was I was literally dodging reality. I had so much built up in my mind that I was taking the drugs just to mask my problems. Mm. Uh, I was working in a full-time job just to feed my addiction. And I was living in my nan's bedroom, you know, so I had no rent to pay, nothing, nothing no outgoings um, except my drug debts. And... You know, it's. I guess it started getting worse when I realized, you know, I had lost everyone around me. Like, I lost the trust of my family. Um, I'd lost all my friends through trust. Even though they'd done drugs themselves, I had lost their trust because I was just a lot worse than them. Um, Like, when I, I got caught stealing off one of them, just only stealing the score off them, but... You know, it was it was still bad. You know,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, yeah. So I guess it got it got really bad to the extent of um, you know, you end up owing a lot of people money, violence. You end up getting your your bloody head kicked in yeah. on several occasions. You're constantly coming home with black eyes, broken noses, um, and 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 so on. Yeah.
1: <laughs> were you aware of how, um, how how bad it had got in, at, in the moment, or were you sort of living in a, in, a, in a denial where you would just it, it it wasn't your fault; it was everyone else's. Yeah, I guess I've always
0: I've always kind of had my I've always had my head screwed on, so I kind of knew what I was doing, but I thought I had I thought I had it under control. Um, and to a certain extent, I think I did, because like I was I was working, I was doing a full time job, I was coming home, I was doing drugs on my own, I was going for long walks in the mountain off my face, coming home, going to sleep, I was like I was really playing the system with this drugs thing, to the point that people used to think I was on drugs when I was straight,
1: really,
0: you know, so because I think because I was masking it so well. It was quite scary because like I, I could get away with it. Mm. Except for my my major binges on the weekends when you used to like stay up and do pills and ketamine and you know, all all you know, you end up smoking cocaine and all that that stuff really fries your head and you're on a calm down for days. But the daily the daily amphetamine use and the weed, you know, I, that was just part of my daily life and I don't think anyone really knew the extent of bad that addiction was that was just
1: that was just to help me um just to help me get through life really i i I see it um around me at the moment i I see people that there's a lot of uh recreational drug taking going on um you know you know we've all we've all been there we've all done it and like but it's and it is fun at the time but I, i see so many people around me get caught in that cycle and then they are never able to break that cycle it, 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 it as you say it's weekend to weekend and then it slowly turns into two days on a weekend then slowly three days on a weekend before you know it they're doing it four or five times a week and and you know even the daily use that you're on about it's it's quite a po- how much of a problem is it in in, in because i i'm from penarth down in south wales and you know i i can see it at the pub you you can you can point at the people who are definitely on it just at the pub you know with their eyes everywhere like how is how's it like what's it like in abadeer
0: Yeah, I think it's a lot worse now than it was when I was growing up, Um, because like, for for me it all started off with smoking weed and drinking, and like, when we used to smoke a spliff, we used to ride, we used to ride up the mountain or like behind the garages or something like that, and now, you walk down the street and like kids, 14, 13, 14 years are just walking past you with a spliff, I'm like, (laughs) they just don't care, you know? I'm not sure if if, if it's they don't care or the the law doesn't care anymore. You know, because we were always scared to do that. And I mean, if they can get away with that, like they are getting away with a lot worse. Mm-hmm. And I know drugs. I went out. I don't really go out that often, but I went out a couple of months ago. I didn't. I don't drink anymore. So when you're out, you have you have a real real eyeful of what's going on. You know. Mm-hmm. And there was people walking around with, like, just, you know, like I used to, you know, blend over the lips, massive eyes, totally off their face. And I was like, this is probably 90% of the people that's out. And, and you know, it, I guess people just feel like they have to do that. And I guess buying, like, a gram of speed or a couple of pills is still cheaper or definitely cheaper than buying the drink from behind the bar. You know, it's more yeah. accessible.
1: Yeah. I, I, is... I, I went out recently, it was £5.50 uh, five pound £5. for a bottle of alcohol-free beer. It's criminal. Like, it's ridiculous now. And when, yeah, when they are selling a little bit of speed for a tenner or something, um, you're definitely going uh, to go for that rather than the, than the other stuff. But the, um, there's a great Jordan Peterson quote, and it's it, the question is not why do you do drugs? because it's obvious why we do drugs in what, in one regards, they're pretty fun. <laughs> you know, the question is, why don't you do drugs? And it's, it's all the negative stuff that comes with it. That the, the reasons why that's the reasons why you shouldn't do it. And it's, and the responsibilities in your life that you have, that you, you need to be um, sober in order to conduct yourself properly with the responsibilities. It's, it's, that's the question people need to be asking themselves can you share a pivotal moment or a realization that maybe you had that motivated you to break free from this uh, addiction?
0: Yeah, I had a few of them over the years. Um, you know, moments of reflection and oh my god, I'm going to go to I'm I'm Daniel. This is the last. This is the last chance I'm having. But you know, it's never the last chance. Especially now when you when you're an addict, you know, um or you live in that lifestyle because as soon as you take drugs again the next day, you forget about it and you get on with it, but it was one one pivotal moment in my life that that was the first time really that I really wanted to take my own life as well, and I'll be quite open in saying that um it was the anniversary of my friend's death. And me and my mate were walking home um, from the mountain where we celebrated. And we passed the flat. We passed this flat where uh, local junkies um, lived, resided, wherever they do. Right, uh, Even though I was a drug addict, I resented them. You know what it's like. It's, it's a vicious circle, isn't it? Anyway, I had a little bit too much alcohol, probably been up. About three or four nights, so I wasn't quite all there. And decided it'd be a good idea to get rid of them out of the village. Bearing in mind, even though I was a raging drag addict as well, I'd still seen them as a the scum of the earth. You know, it's, it's, it's funny how you look at things, isn't it? But, so I took the into intimate demands and went through the door, put my foot through the door. Uh... It's kind of a blur, but I remember, like, hitting people when on the floor. I remember throwing a TV of, like, these people who were just smacked up on the floor and, like, pushing this woman over. And I think I even hit her, um, smashed all the windows in the flat, chucked, like, the stereos through the flat and, you know, made a mess, you know. Um, and then I left. My Friend was still outside, and I remember walking back up to him and he was standing there drinking his can, you know, just watching me do this. Um, and there's about four, four or five of them in the flat. Um, so I must have been right off my face, right? Must have just don't know, like some, some like, superhuman strength or something like that. But when I was leaving, the woman ran up to the window and shouted through the smashed window. I can't remember exactly what she shouted But I ran back up And I put my fist through the rest of the window Blood everywhere And I said to her If you aren't gone by tomorrow I'm going to come back and light this fucking flat on fire um, And I said it exactly like that Now I left Went home um, Went home quite scared I will be honest Because I knew my blood was there and I knew they knew who I was. I ended up, I jumped in a shower. I was so off my face. I was trying to put bleach over myself just to get rid of any evidence and everything. And my mother was there this time. Um, and then that that flat got boarded up and they were moved out. You know, my job was done. I'd done what I had done what I wanted to do. But in the time, six months passed. From that moment to six months, right, I had met someone, the mother of my children, and I was like, okay, I'm going to sort myself out. I was still smoking weed. I was still dabbling a little bit in drugs, but I was like kind of there, you know. Um, I might have gone back to the odd stuff and all that, but I was thinking about getting clear and joining the army. Well. I was setting up down my nan's garden with the radio bucket full of cans and a spliff to listen to the world's England match and she shouts on the garden. The police are outside and I'm like, What's, what have I done now? You know, and I, and I walk out and there's two coppers there and I, I know the, I know the both coppers, so I've dealt with them before and they're like, look, Gareth, we have to arrest you for attempted murder. um, And I'm like, you know, there's probably two words you never want to hear. Yeah. You know, um, I I instantly just froze. I was like, my life flashed before my eyes. I was like, I'm actually starting to turn my life around a bit, and now this, it's like a big test, you know. They let they drove me over to Mirtha Police Station. They, they let me keep my mobile for the first half of the journey, so I can make some phone calls to my to my misses. Um, and I was, how would you explain that, you know, um, taken to the cell, um, where I sat in the cell. I'm not very good in tight spots anyway, but I was in there and I was like, I'm going to prison for life. You know, I'm, I'm going down and I was like, I haven't even fucking done anything. Anyway, they told me what it was for. It was for that flat and they found my blood. Well, the people in the flat, um, said that I tried to set the house on fire. Now, I admitted to them everything I'd done in that flat, but I did not try to light that flat on fire that night. i threatened them with it the next day, but I didn't do it. Mm. Now, I only got away with it because none of their stories matched. They all told different stories because they were all off their face themselves. I got away lucky. I got done for criminal damage. that was it. Um, but when I was sitting in that cell waiting for you know, waiting for the verdict, I guess, waiting for the defining moment of my life. Am I going to prison that's gonna ruin my life, or am I gonna get one of them other chances that I've given up so often in the in the past before? And I was sitting there with my little microwave lasagna and I had the spoke in my hand and I was thinking if they say I'm going to prison, there's only one way out of this for I me, mean, I, I can't go to prison. And that was the first time I had thoughts go through my head of actually just
1: sticking that
0: spork, you know, and just...
1: What, plastic spork?
0: Plastic spoke.
1: yeah. I don't mean to make light of the situation, that I don't mean to make light of it. No, yeah,
0: but you but be, be should, sure because in, in my head now, you know, i laugh at it because, like, that was the defining moment for me when I was sitting on that hard, like, on that hard chair, on the concrete bed with the spork and the lasagna, and I'm thinking, like, yeah, I can't do this, and, you know, and then, and then it come out, and I I, I say I got away with it because, you know, I did, um because I should have, you know, I should have, I should have got a lot, it should have been a worse outcome. And I deserved the worst outcome as well. But something above, you know, above or below or wherever people are watching over us. Um, someone had my back that day and gave me another chance. And that was the defining moment for me. Mm. Um, I'll be honest. You know, I still had my moments after that. It was a long, bloody process. But I wised up. There was no more trouble. You know, um, the only other battle I had then was with the drugs and and the eating disorder I developed later on. But, you know, yeah, that was the pinnacle moment for me.
1: How did you discover your sense of purpose then? And how has it influenced your journey of recovery and advocacy of uh, mental health now?
0: Um, I guess because, like... Uh, it's, it's, it's quite a difficult question, you know, where did I find my purpose because I still don't, I, I still don't really understand my purpose. I just like live my life every day. Now as if, as if I was given that second chance. So my purpose, my my purpose to myself is just to live life um to the best of my ability and to show others that they can too. And the years they spend worrying or on drugs or whatever it may be, worrying about money or just everyday life struggles, you know, they're just wasting time that they could be putting into themselves. And all that effort they 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 waste, you know, being sad and being lonely and, you know, stressing. If they just flip flick flip flip that over and put that into themselves and don't care what other people think, then I think that's the real purpose. That's my purpose anyway, is just to show other people that you know they are worth it. Yes. Yeah.
1: That that's what I see from from the message that you're spreading with the Mental Health Wanderer platform. Um is you're offering this inspiration uh to other people that could be suffering out there. And it, you know, as purposes go, that's a pretty that's a pretty goddamn good one. I, where did the mental health wanderer come from? That like was it did you come come up for it on a run one day or think of it?
0: Yeah, I did. Um I guess I always wanted it to be around. I wanted it to be around mental health. Um, I wasn't really into like Instagram, Facebook, or anything at that time. It was all new to me, and I was just sitting here trying to trying to put two words together. And I was like, "Yeah, mental health. I'd like mental health in there." And then, you know, I was like, "What do I do?" And I'm like, because. Still to this day, I never say, like, I'm going for a run or I'm doing a run or, you know, it's always, to me, it's always an adventure. It's always a wonder because, like, you don't really run anyway, you know. You don't wake up in the morning and say, I want to run near, you know. You go out and it's always a journey. To To me, it is anyway. And that's the way I see it. And that's why it keeps so fresh. Every race I do is just... It's just a, it's just a bloody wander in the forest. <laughs> and, uh, that's kind of where I come up with it. It's just a mental health wanderer. Yeah.
1: And uh, how is it important to like, how much, what does it mean to you then? What does it give to you that, uh, carrying this message? What do you get out of, uh, being this sort of person carrying the torch? Um,
0: to be honest, it like, it gives me motivation. And it gives me a lot more inspiration that people that people think I give them um, and i 'm not talking about likes or shares or thumbs up on on Facebook or instagram i 'm talking about like the real deep stories that people share with me or that I see through the page and stuff is that you know if if they can do it then i I can do anything. You know, like, as a little boy in Northern Ireland, I don't know if you've noticed someone in one of my posts that I, like, I, I keep in touch with a lot, it's Conan. He goes through some horrible shit every day. You know, he fights off bullies, he struggles with his own mental health. And, uh, I mean, he, he's, a, he's a young teenager. And he's kind of my focus point at the moment and through every, through every um, event that I do. Because I think if he can get up every day, And live his life to the best of his ability. Then why can't I? Um, And 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 that's what that's what I get from it, you know. And that's all I hope to ever get from it. I just want to change that one person's view of him throughout the fifteen thousand followers. That's that's on Instagram. He's pretty much the only one I care about when I post. As long as he sees it, and we help each other out, you know.
1: Yeah. How how did you come across uh, this chaplain? Did you did he reach out or something? Or?
0: Uh so so I was, his mother followed the page years ago. Um and we, we we just started talking. I can't I can't really remember how we met that, but it was quite embarrassing. But we started talking, she shared his story with me and then we done a little bit of a collaboration then back last year. Where he done a challenge, I done a challenge. When I was doing the joggle actually, he was doing like five K a day every day whilst I was out there. So we done this thing together. And the reason behind that was, you know, as as much as his mother and he would say that Yeah, thank you for the inspiration for getting him up to do that every day. But in my head in my head I kinda used them. I kinda used him because when I was getting up like say on like day eight, day nine of the joggle, and I didn't want to go, I knew I had to go because Conan was doing to do his five k at some point.
1: Yeah. And yeah. if I was Yeah.
0: If I give up that day, it mean he'd have to give up. So I kinda of used them as motivation, you know, and it was quite quite clever of me to think of that. <laughs> you, you you get what I mean, yeah. We um we just got this connection and it's and it works quite well. And I hope to do a lot more work with him as well over the years. Because he's gonna be a he's gonna be a real clever kid.
1: Oh, good man. Good for you. That's a nice story. And it like purpose definitely comes from relations with other people. That's how I see it. that you said there, like it's not about the likes, it's not about the follows. Like these are just sort of extrinsic numbers. It's about that deep connection with people. I think without a comparison or connection with people, there is no purpose. So to tie it into a group is great, but to tie it into one single person with a powerful story, I think that's, that's going to light the fire up your ass every time.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then that's, that, that's exactly how I see it, right? So you see someone on Instagram that's got like 200 followers, okay? And then you see someone that's got 2, two million followers. What's the difference between them, all right? All it takes is that one person to see you a message, and we've all heard to the ripple effect, right? And that one person could either be in the 200 million follower list or it could be in the 200 follower list. And that one person goes on to tell someone else and so on and so on and so on and so on. And the next thing you know from them 200 followers, you know, your story has just gone on. Now, you might have the 200 million followers, but no one is interested in your stories. <laughs> Do you see where I'm going with this? Absolutely. It only takes. It only takes that one person to pass this message on and that's how i see it i don't see it as like the broader audience i see it just as one person and when i'm writing my post as well i'm just writing to one person um and i think that's a good way of looking at it definitely it anyway
1: what well, what advice would you give to individuals who are perhaps searching for some sort of purpose or feel lost uh in their life at the moment I'd probably say to them, "Stop looking."
0: And I know that sounds—I know that sounds stupid, but I think when you start looking for purpose and you start looking for something, it adds extra pressure on yourself. Um, I certainly felt that pressure when I was trying to give up drugs. I, I, all I wanted to do was give up drugs, and I wanted it so bad, and this and that. Now I've learned when I stress out about something. Like, my van cost me five and a half grand last week, uh, money that I didn't have. Now, I had two choices. I could either stress out about it and go try and find a solution, or I could sit back and just let it happen, all right, because worrying solves nothing. And I wish, how I feel now, I wish I felt like that when I was on drugs or some kind of problem because I find when you calm, And you collect it and you let things come to you rather than going to try to find them. It happens a little bit more smoothly because you're more level-headed, if that makes
1: sense. Yeah. Also, half the things that you're worrying about don't even come to fruition.
0: Exactly that, yeah. Yeah. You know, those people that do drugs, those are like big anxiety problems. And don't get me wrong, I'm still there. You're always thinking six months into the future. You know, there's just no need. And one thing I'd tell people that come through, and they're like, "How did you? How? How can I stop taking drugs?" It's a question I've asked me a lot of times. And the first question I ask them, "Do you want to stop taking drugs?" And there's two answers you can get. And like they all say yes but there's two different ways you'll get the one person that's like yeah i want to stop do anything to stop and then you get the one person that thinks about the answer first now that person who thinks about the answer is not ready to stop you know and i'm a strong believer of you won't stop until you're truly ready you know until you've seen that defining moment in your life like for me it was going to prison for other people it's like when they have their first child. Unfortunately, drugs isn't an easy one. Just to stop and go cold turkey, you normally need a defining reason, um, and you—it is something you can search for. Like it is something you can be determined towards, but you have to have that reason.
1: Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, you won't stop unless you actually want to. I've—I've uh, recently—I've um, done fifty-two days sober now without alcohol. It started in January and all of last year I was like, um, I, I wasn't really enjoying alcohol anymore at all, but it's part of our culture. You still go out, you still do it and you just, but, uh, come January, I was like, right, I'm doing dry January and I've just kept it going. Um, 52 days now, who knows where it's going to stop? I, I say this, I, um, I haven't quit forever. I'm just not drinking today. That's, that's a, that's a, that's a trademark there. I'll, I'll put that on a t-shirt, but, um, People have gone god well done man that's 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 must be so hard like and it, it's not at all because I don't want to do it anymore <laughs> it's be it's actually been really bloody easy, and I think that's it when you've got the right frame of mind where you really want to stop, you ain't going back
0: no no and
1: and, that, and that's exactly what I mean,
0: um but it's all about getting that 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 frame of mind, and it's probably when people think like giving up drugs or alcohol. They think that's the odd part but it's not it is it is like you say finding your purpose and finding that frame of mind and i can honestly say now i have days where i i think Fuck this you know a spliff or a line of coke or something would make everything so much better you know but now i look at the bigger picture and i'm like what would that solve? I'll just go for a run or I'll go for a walk or I'll go for a swim or I'll do something else. I'll just take myself totally out of to the equation. Um and see the bigger picture really. See the life that I'm living now. Um because it's it's not much of a life when you're on drugs. You know, you're just you're paying for someone else's car. That's the way I see it now.
1: <laughs> yeah. Some drug dealers BMW, isn't it? That's that's what you're paying for. Um, I, w- I want to talk about your your ultra endurance challenges a bit as well. So I know I know you I get we mentioned at the start, like you literally started running two and a half years ago. I can't believe it, and you've already run more miles than pro- I have probably in my life. Um, how do you train? Th- this is my because I know you've done hundred mile challenges, you've done two hundred mile challenges, you've done three hundred mile challenges. How do you train for something like that, and how do you fit it in and around like your already busy life?
0: I guess if you ask me this next year, I might be able to give you a little bit more of an experienced answer because I've actually just started a training program. Right. Program. Uh, a real you program,
1: know, your first real program.
0: <laughs> yeah, something I spent a lot of time on writing, uh, which I'm hoping is going well. And it's the rest week. So it's going well so far. But I guess how I trained for the 200 miler, I didn't. <laughs> um could not have gone any better um, I, was in, I was in the earth locker the old way then for the 300 miler I think I kind of just bounced into that you know I was new to the ultra scene, I was new to running in general and just I had that eye, you know, I had that feeling like, like an heroin addict as for for a fix. I was like after I'd done the two hundred mile, I was like, I won that again, I won the fame, I want I want everything that come with the two hundred miler, you know. It was it was a brilliant feeling. The buzz when you're out there, like it was like, Yeah, I won it. But again, I didn't really train for it. Um, I mean I was running some heavy mileage each week, but I wasn't I can't really tell you what I was doing, like block training and stuff. I was just running every day, every day. Um, And then for the joggle, I kind of followed a training program for the joggle. Now, right, still inexperienced, put this training program together myself. And I thought, just go out and run as far as you bloody can every week. right. So I was going out and I was doing 100 mile weeks, like back to back. Um, covering something like five, six hundred kilometers a month for 10 months. And then, to be perfectly honest, when I come to doing the joggle, my body was My body was beaten up. Um, I had fasciitis, the fasciitis in my feet. I wasn't in a very good state. Um, I overtrained, which a lot of people were telling me I was doing. but I was like, yeah, all right, whatever. Um, because I just enjoy running, and I was just going out to run. I didn't see it as training. So I guess to answer your question, like, I'm probably not the best person to ask about <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> but one thing, like, one thing that that gets me going in the morning, so I'll get up 4 in the morning, go, go do 10, 15K, then I'll try and do another run then lunchtime and in the evening, because trying to work it around my work pattern is very difficult um because i start working like half seven in the morning finish it off four five six seven eight nine o'clock doesn't matter what time i finish Just trying to fit it all in means i have to get up early in the morning um and i enjoy doing that so i guess when i first started i used to, I, I struggled getting up in the mornings to do it now it's like if I don't get up in the morning, I feel like I've wasted half the day, and and it benefits me so much. Getting up, them ex, that extra hour, extra two hours, you know, even if I just go for a walk or go to the gym or something, the feeling it gives me is like accomplished. I'm like I'm already better than everyone else because they're all still sleeping. Kind of, kind of feeling without sounding smug, you know, it's just a little wind inside my heart. Um, but. But, but, but for the past for the past five weeks, oh, my training has looked for. So my main goal is the Swiss Alps this year, Swiss Alps 100 miler, uh, which is going to probably be one of the hardest, definitely one of the hardest races, but probably one of the hardest runs I've ever done as well. It covers something close to 10,000 meters of elevation in 100 miles, so it's like, you know, straight up, but. How my training has looked is I've got eight pretty much back to back fifty mile races, two backyard ultras in the same week coming up. <laughs> two. Yeah, yeah. So it's, I'm running for Wales on the on the weekend in April. So on the Saturday into Sunday, and then possibly into Monday if we carry on going. But and then on the Wednesday, I'm running for the Army Air Corps in a military style 24 hour event um so that's going to be quite intense but i'm seeing them all as training runs now whereas before i would go out every weekend every every day and just run as far as i can get that mileage up compare with people on strava you know i want to beat them i want to be the furthest runner and stuff now it's changed i'm trying to do as less as i can but me be more productive with like my strength work at the gym work the actual runs i do i've changed So i'm doing like tempo sessions i'm doing long distance and i'm doing like ill reps and stuff now i feel like i'm proper running and i'm using my experience my knowledge as a pti putting it into practice um and i think it's paying off I mean, like I've lost, I've lost a bit, of, a bit of weight over the past couple of weeks. I'm feeling healthy. I'm feeling fit. I got my first 50 miler at the beginning of March, and then I got another one at the end of March. So I guess that's going to be the point where if this training program is working or not.
1: It sounds like it's nonstop for you. But do you know what I liked about what you just said uh, before? You just got out and ran. Sometimes people can overcomplicate it or they can, is uh, it paralysis by analysis? They can overthink what they're trying to do and achieve and then not actually end up getting out and doing it. What you did, you just put your trainers on and got out there. And sometimes that's all you need to do. Um, every, every, day, every day is like that for me. Um,
0: and I can say it to everyone as well. The problem is with people like i love strava you know i love what you can do with instagram and other stuff like that but i also loathe them as well because you do compare yourself to others so much and let's be honest what off the people post is a lot of bullshit anyway because they only a lot of people only post like the real good stuff um that you don't really see what goes on behind the scenes and i'm not speaking for everyone but people People out there will compare themselves to that. And you were right in saying, it's not enough for someone just to get up in the morning, put their shoes on and go out for a run. They have to go out and run as fast as Tommy did yesterday, or they have to run as far as fucking John did yesterday, or something like that. Now, for me, I I, I, I try not to compare myself to anyone. Um, I use people as inspiration. But I don't compare myself to anyone because, you know, where I could have ended up, I'm already in a better place. I don't need to be better than anyone. So, and I think that it's that that word, you know, that word adventure. When you put your shoes on, whether you're trying to lose weight or you want to get fitter or you just want to get out of the house, put your shoes on and see it more as an adventure rather than a run. Because when you put the label run on things, you know, it, it paints a big picture. But if you were adventuring, you can bloody go out, you can you can forward roll, you can you can knees, you, you, you can walk, you can run, you can fly, you can do anything. You don't have to run, you know. And that's what ultra running is all about. It should be bloody ultra walking because after fifty miles everyone walks anyway. Unless yeah. it's some
1: some superhuman thing, but <laughs> Fair one, fair one. Now, obviously, uh, you, you are called the mental health wanderer, with the uh, purpose of the word being mental health. I was wondering, what self-care practices do you prioritize to sort of maintain your mental well-being, especially during times of stress or intense physical exertion?
0: Uh, so probably talking. That's my biggest one now. I was very much the, the kind of person I was to things bottled up inside me now I, I talk to people on camp we've got a brilliant welfare service um we're just a couple of ladies and they're there to listen to you basically when you've got issues or you know, you're stressed or something and you know i preach to everyone every every day to talk and i wouldn't myself but now i do and you know it, it just takes a load off you you know, just even if you're just annoyed and you're in a pissed off mood because someone just catch you up on the bike or, or something like that, just get it off your chest. Just don't keep it on your chest. Get it off. Right? Any little thing. Um, so that's my biggest, that's my biggest self, bit of self-care advice is just to talk and get it off your chest. even if it's too-
1: yeah. yeah. So you're not saying necessarily like therapy or anything like that. Just having a chat, even with a friend or a colleague or someone who will actually just, someone with an ear that will listen
0: yeah yeah so so like i've got a couple of couple of ways i deal with it that nothing i do involves therapy so i'll i'll talk i write a lot of my problems down um i got a couple of diaries up on the shelf there um that i write i've i've wrote down since my first daughter was born so i'll write everything in there um i also like i like my posts i write my posts um i find that helps and and i guess just i do a lot of relaxing as well now i try to do yoga i try to like just generally lie on the floor basically block out that all sound and just really just connect and just actually hear my thoughts and slow down and hear myself think and try and feel what i want instead of going like a million miles per hour like my head wants to mm yeah but it's you know it is it's the self-care thing is difficult because like there's so many labors on labels on stuff it's like you tell someone you're doing yoga and they're like oh okay you're doing yoga and all that but it actually works and i mean i'm not f- i'm not bloody flexible or nothing i just go and do some stretching um but taking that time out for yourself it, it you know it releases a lot of pressures and, and it does help but I'd say my top two is, you know, talking and writing stuff down. And then like, lastly is my other big output is like running and, and the physical side of things, but there's a lot more you can do before that point.
1: Yeah. I think that the key words you said there is just taking some time for yourself as well. And if you're doing something like running or like yoga in that moment, all you have to think about is that activity. You don't have to be- think about what's going on in the world or who's annoyed you or anything like that. You can just sort of collect your thoughts and be at one with yourself. Have you got any, um, specific self-care routines or rituals that has like a significant impact on your mental health maintenance? Have you got like a morning routine that you do or anything like that?
0: So my, my old day is a routine. It could be something to do with like the ADHD or something like that, but my, <laughs> my old day is a routine. Um but it helps. Um I mean in the evenings I start my morning off in the evenings. I know it sounds silly, but I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But you have to be prepped. If if you want to train and you wanna have that control over your life, you gotta be prepped. Like I lay my socks out, my boxers, my shorts, my t shirt trainers, so on. All laid out ready for the morning. I even put the coffee in the mug. So when I wake up in the morning and I'm tired all I have to do is roll out of bed, flick the kettle on, get dressed, pour the coffee, and I'm good to go, you know? And then before you know it, you're halfway down the street and you're like, I'm awake. You know, you're know, you so you're making things easier for you. You're making life easier for you by having these things prepped. You know, you, you're setting yourself up to fail if if you don't prep. What's the, what's the saying? Fail to prepare, prepare to fail is our, is our motto in the army, you know? Um, and then I guess just going, going throughout the day now is like, you have to expect, you have to expect life to throw some shit to you. You're going to get some stressful moments, you know, it's it's inevitable, but instead of like dealing with them when they happen, try and deal with them before they happen. Know you're going to go into work and your boss is going to be a dick or someone's going to be a knob to you. You know, and then when it happens, you kind of prepared yourself. Um, <laughs> but the biggest one for me, I think, that really helps is in the evenings. So I'm quite a big influencer on Instagram where, like, I'll post every day. And, like, I, I don't know what people think of people who post every day. Like, do they sit there waiting for the likes to come in? You know, do they wait for the comments to come in and everything? But what I do is I, like, I'll post... Or I'll do something, I'll chat to some people up till about 8 o'clock. And then as soon as that post goes live, or something goes live, I'll put my phone down, I'll put my phone on, like, silent mode. And I won't check that phone again. I might not even check that post for two, three days. Because of the influence it has. Now, and I'll put my phone to one side, I'll I'll message the family back, whatever. But from 8 o'clock every night... I will not go on social media, um, except for the rare occurrences. But to me, that changed me. And now I'll pick up a book, I'll watch something on TV, I'll just take them moments out for myself. Um, and then I'll naturally drop off to sleep then. But even that couple of hours, because like we can all get caught up in these phone things and, and technology these days. and you know, and I think that's, having that in, having that routine, being quite strict with it, is very good, you know. And it's it's opened me up as well. It's opened me up, like, talking to people in the corridor, just general going out for a cuppa, tea and biscuits in the evenings and all that with no phones, and just makes a massive difference.
1: Yeah, I think uh, we're definitely more aware of it as a society in these last uh, few years of how much they absorb our time and attention, The the... the these devices so to be able to put it away um in the evening it's great we've all done it we've all i i do it now when i put a picture of you know me running up but i want i'm checking the likes constantly and you're checking it one by one as well every time you check it's an extra one leave it a few days be nice hit then you'll just say oh 20 fantastic that's exactly it um and and the other one as well so like on my
0: facebook page all right it's it's quite weird because if if something gets loads of likes on instagram it doesn't get many likes on facebook and if it gets loads on facebook it doesn't get any on instagram it's it's weird but they're two different people okay yeah, the yeah. people are two different people now <laughs> I, I I would always say this all right it's, it's like it's almost like the way i explain it is it's like showing my mother a photo on instagram she's younger right or whatever cooler and then facebook is like my nan so I have to talk more, <laughs> more nicely. Sorry to anyone who sees it. You have to talk more nicely and they like a nice Tuesday story, okay? Now, you can really get caught up in that. When something gets a thousand likes and then other things get like 30 likes, that can really have an effect on you. Whether you feel motivated or you know high or low. Um, And it was affecting me because some things were going above 1,000 likes, and it was just inc- insane. And then other things then were getting like 40, 50, and I'm like, what am I doing wrong? You know, why is this happening? And uh, I was like, you know, well, I knocked off the like thing in the end, so I can't even see my own likes and all that, because I don't care, really. But when you see the numbers, you know, you know, you, you compare yourself, and I'm like, you know, I just, I don't care. Um, yeah, I really don't care.
1: Absolutely, Gareth. I asked you for um, before the before the podcast interview. I asked you to think of your favorite motivational quote. Uh, you've had a few days now, so I'm sure it's going to be a, a stoker. What What is your favorite motivational quote?
0: Yeah, so so it's a quote that I come up with on one of my runs before, and it's something that I've that I've um, sworn by. It's basically when you feel like giving up that's a perfect chance to become unstoppable.
1: Yeah, That's written on one of your t-shirts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen it. I like that. I like that.
0: Yeah, it comes from my 200-mile run because that old bloody thing was, you know, that old thing was was impossible, but, you know, it's made me feel unstoppable now.
1: I suppose that's it. It's, It's at that point of where, where you feel like breaking, where you feel like stopping, that is the point where you've got the decision. You've got the decision to either give up and stop, or you could push through and actually become unstoppable, like you're saying.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: I like it. I, I've actually got one, uh, another one of yours. I was watching some of your your YouTube videos, uh, and there was a clip where you are speaking to Cameron. I think it was during um, your 200-mile run, and you, ju- you just had to go across a river maybe or something? Uh, so that's it. Yeah, you, there was no path around. You couldn't get uh, go over a bridge or anything like that. You had to go through and wade through a river during your run. And you ended that video with "Remember, it could always be worse." And I loved that. And I, I, I thought that's that's the attitude I have, isn't it? It's like you just had to wade waist deep through a river on a two hundred mile run, and that's the the way you framed it. It's like yeah, it could be worse. And I loved that. That's good. It's p- positive thinking, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and it's something I didn't add before that either. I just changed into uh, fresh trainers and socks and all that. And <laughs> that's said, brilliant. Yeah. So, you know, it could always be worse.
1: And, and that's, that, that's the attitude
0: I live by now.
1: Um, what, what does the future hold then? What's, what's next? I think you've given us a list anyway. You've got about a million races going on, or no, training races. And then you've got, what, what's the next big challenge?
0: Uh the next big challenge for me is the Swiss Alps one hundred. That's right. You know yeah. August. That that's that's going to be insane. Um, you know, different different country. Um but you know it's it's another adventure. And I gotta be honest, the event the event organizers have been absolutely smashing, so I'm really looking forward to it. Um yeah, yeah. but like between us, I, I really wanna do well in it as well. Um, I don't just want to go out there and like finish it. I, I actually want to try and, you know, just, just do it as best I can in in the best shape or as I can. Whether I come first or last, I want to finish it and think, yeah, you, you know, you, you felt good starting it, and you know, you feel good finishing it as well. That's that, that's my biggest goal for out there.
1: Good and if people want to follow you and um and watch your journey, where where can they find you?
0: Yeah, follow um, Mental Health Wanderer on Facebook or Instagram, and I I have links all through up. There's going to be live trackers for all my races this year, Um, and it's normally quite an adventure with me. Nothing is ever plain sailing, and I always find
1: a way to uh, make it quite entertaining, so feel free to follow along yeah definitely we'll be watching as well gareth thank you very much for your time uh, this evening uh good luck in your adventures and uh we'll be we'll be keeping a close eye
0: thank you very much for having me on i appreciate it
1: no worries thank you see you later yes thank you and remember this podcast is brought to you by rockman the ultimate online challenge platform at rockman we offer monthly online running and fitness challenges inspired by the world's toughest fitness tests test your limits without restriction from any place any time, all year round so if you need a motivation boost and don't have the time or interest in the same old race day events you can sign up and get started immediately at rockman.co.uk